refer to the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible, and proceed with the discussion of the eleventh objection which has been mentioned against the truthfulness of the Bible and by implication of the truthfulness of God as a divine author of the Bible. It has been objected that there are mistakes and contradictions in historical accounts appearing in various parts of the Bible record, and therefore that the Bible is not strictly truthful. It has been mentioned that this is a very important objection, because if the Bible is not true in its revelation of small details, certainly it cannot be depended upon as it unfolds to us the profound things of God. But then we are faced with the remarkable fact of the existence of the Bible when such a concerted effort has been exercised down through the centuries by the opposition to remove the Bible from circulation. And yet God has enabled men to publish it more than any other book which has been written. It has been mentioned that the key to understanding the Bible is a reverential and a humble attitude toward God and a desire for truth, and that God has promised to reveal the truth of His Word to all who approach Him in this humble and proper manner. We have remarked that certain things will characterize our investigation as we come to the Bible with respect. We must recognize that the writers of the Bible were sincere and honest men. Then we should not be impatient to solve every one of our supposed problems at once, because many times the unfolding of history has solved these problems. Then we should allow the Bible to explain itself, or should study the Bible in the light of other biblical passages and oftentimes this will throw light upon the passage involved. Then we should study a verse of the Bible in its context so that we do not remove a thought from the very surroundings which color it and interpret it. Then we ought to study the original languages of the Bible in the event of difficulty and the customs and usages of words so that we may arrive at the exact meaning that God intended in giving the Bible and inspiring the authors of the Bible. And so the Bible promises divine illumination when we approach it in this common sense attitude and with a humbleness of heart and mind. As we have classified some of these alleged discrepancies, we remarked that many arise because Men do not carefully read just what the Bible says and interpret uh, various words as meaning what they actually do not mean. And oftentimes when we establish just what is said by the Bible, the supposed difficulty evaporates. Then we have remarked that our ignorance of many facts possessed by Bible writers often cause us to question certain things which could very well be, as has been recorded. Then we come to a third classification of discrepancies, 
and we set forth those that arise from a wrong understanding of the Bible as a whole. It is claimed that the very words of the Bible in its original autograph copies were inspired by the moving and superintending power of the Holy Spirit. This guarantees the record of the Bible as being a truthful one, but does not make of equal value all the parts of the Bible. This is the very objection that is raised by such thinkers, that the Bible is all of equal value, and this certainly is not true. The very concept of inspiration is that the Bible writers were kept from error and recorded those truths which were in fact a contribution to the whole record of the Word of God. Thus many have objected that the Bible contains falsehoods and contradicts itself. It is accepted indeed as a fact that the Bible does contain many falsehoods since it records the events as they actually happen. For example, Satan proposed to Adam and Eve before the fall a falsehood, and this is recorded in the Bible. Genesis 3-4, Satan suggested, Ye shall not surely die. God had threatened Adam and Eve with separation from his lovely presence if they were so foolish as to depart from a right attitude toward him. And Satan came along and proposed the opposite. Now this record is true as to what he suggested, but the substance of what he suggested is indeed an untruth and an error, as history has proved. The fact that he proposed it is indeed to be accepted as true history, but the statement itself is false. We have referred to Psalm 14.1, where we have the statement, There is no God. But upon reading the rest of this verse, we find that such is the saying of a fool. Thus, in evaluating the spiritual truth of the Bible, attention must be given to the speaker or source of a given statement. Inspiration guarantees the truthfulness of the record. When God or the servants of God speak forth, it is indeed truth. But when false characters speak their assertions, they must be weighed accordingly, and the source of the various things mentioned in the Bible must be considered in arriving at their proper authority. Then in the fourth place, there are supposed mistakes and contradictions which fail to recognize that Bible writers may not record all that is true about a given event. When one event is described by more than one writer, one may add this detail and another may refer to another observation. Since both of these things may have been true, there is no discrepancy if one tells this and another that, but that both agree on some main features of the story. We must recognize that Bible writers have been given different purposes to be achieved by their writings. 
One observation may better fit this purpose than another. So the Holy Spirit granted this selection. Both viewpoints of a given event could be true, and if so, we ought not to entertain any doubts of inconsistency. Then also, inspiration is not a mechanical dictation that renders a writer free from his native observations, nor does inspiration imply that two writers will set forth a given truth in the same way. Both presentations may be true and equally effective. Inspiration allows for personal variations, but superintends the accuracy of what is written. John the Apostle wrote of the deep things of the Godhead and the incarnation of Christ with its most profound teaching, and at the same time used the simplest vocabulary or the fewest number and shortest words to be found in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit simply used John as he was, with his simple penetrating experiences. How wonderful it is that God enabled him to write of such profound things in such simple words. This uh, presentation may be contrasted with the writings of Paul and Luke, who is called the beloved physician. The literary background of these men shines forth in their writings. So the Holy Spirit used all that they were. The mere fact of varying expressions is the highest evidence of individual observation and witness. If a judge hears all his witnesses using the same words and recording the same details, he immediately suspicions that there has been a collusion between the witnesses and rules out much of the evidence. But if he observes that while there are personal variations, there are nevertheless agreements in the main events of the narrative, this is ruled to be the highest form of evidence. Thus we are not to regard as discrepancies minor variations in the record, which could both be true. If one gospel writer affirmed that there were two men who came to Jesus to be healed, while another mentions only one, it could be that one was more prominent than another, or came to Jesus slightly ahead of the other. This one attracted the attention of one writer who recorded this true fact. Another observed that there were two, and does not mention that one was more outstanding both writers are truthful, and we need have no difficulty. Both accounts may be literally true and sanctioned by the Holy Spirit. We must accept this possibility, since we have no real reason for denying it. An example of this purposeful variation appears in the record of the inscriptions placed over the Lord Jesus on the cross, which John tells us was written in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The following are the variations. Matthew records, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Mark affirmed, The King of the Jews, to be the title. 
Luke records, this is the king of the Jews. While John said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The full superscription doubtless was, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. No one of the gospel writers gave the whole title, but each gave a part sufficient to describe the substance of what was written. What was written was true, and the Holy Spirit allowed it to be so recorded. From Jewish objections recorded in John 19.21, it appears that the important part of the title was the King of the Jews, which all four gospel writers reported. It could be that these words were more prominent than the rest, and thus deemed sufficient by some of the writers, but we must continue. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for Thy Word, how we thank Thee for Thy truth, how we thank Thee for Thy help, that we may have a reasonable approach to the truthfulness of Thy precious Word, and that we may accept its revelations. Now we pray that many may be concerned with their relation to Thee, may repent of sin through faith in Christ, be reconciled to Thee. In Jesus' name, amen.